Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we start a new categorized category. We also watch Groundhog Day all over again. It's time for Categorized. We are back with Categorized. This time the category that we've selected is Movies Across Time. And what does that mean? That means that each episode with this segment, and we are going to spread them out so it won't be back to back to back, is going to focus on a five-year period in history. This time we are starting with 2015 to 2019, and we're going to examine certain films that reflect on that five-year time period and best exemplify what was happening in history at that time. For example, we could choose a film like Black Panther from 2018 with its celebration of empowerment and representation. Uh, And it also resonated deeply with audiences and left a lasting mark on the film industry, paving the way for, you know, diverse storytelling and driving significant box office. So that's sort of what we could be talking about in this version of categorized. So the game is this. We each have chosen five films to discuss but we can only pick one of our five to move on into that eventual categorized bracket, which you guys just heard that whole mini series on that will arrive much, much later in the future. Like probably years from now. Did I say this? Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that completely makes sense. This is a a kind of strange segment, I guess, uh, to wrap your head around, but you know, I think each, You can just take it one episode at a time and not think about it too deeply. Ivana, why don't you kick us off with a movie from that time period that you believe represented the time period and why it's on your list? All right. Uh, I'm going to start us off with, I feel like, almost an obvious choice. And and just for the record, I never go in any particular order. I'm going to start us off with Avengers Endgame. Whoa. I think that this movie absolutely represents the sort of 2015 to 2019 period because first of all I think that at that time there was a real desire for simplifying life to kind of simple concepts of right and wrong and nothing represents that more than a big giant blockbuster superhero movie where there is a bad guy and a team of good guys. And and I actually appreciate it because uh, Avengers Endgame also kind of represents the fact that it's not so simple in reality because as many people have said, Thanos has a lot of the right ideas or end goals that he's looking for, the things he stands for. It's just his idea of how to achieve it is not what we would consider uh, good. And so I think that also the way that this movie kind of represents the wrinkle and the complication of that desire for simplicity of good and evil of big stories, um, I think that's what kind of makes this the perfect representation of its time. Also, you know, just a massive hit um, and really just... $2.7 billion. Yeah, like it is literally the biggest movie. So for it not to be uh, representative of 
of culture in that time and things that culture want, you know, you it would be wrong. This is the fun part about this categorized category because you can think about it however you want to think about it, right? Like this is the themes of this time period. And my God, did you knock it out of the park? Avengers Endgame was not on, not even on my radar, but really? you're so right. This is, yeah, this is the superhero epic of all epics. And, uh, you know, and it also was kind of a closing chapter to a phase of Avengers that we haven't really seen again. Marvel Universe hasn't gotten back to that height again. We may never see it get back to that height. And we see that it was kind of that, that curtain call at the end of Endgame. Now we're watching in history the downfall of these superhero movies when you give only superhero movies to a That's market, right. how they react after such a long time going, ah, we're rejecting that now. Can we please have something else? This was the the landing and they stuck it. And, uh, and I think that kind of represents that moment. I mean, 2015 through 2019, Trump got elected. I think that speaks a lot to uh, people's hunger for something as simple as a superhero story. Uh, you surprised me right out the gate of on it. You surprised me. I'm going to surprise you. This is a categorized category that doesn't necessarily mean that I love the movies I'm choosing but I'm going to throw one out there for you that I don't particularly think is the next big thing. Although a lot of people do. I'm going with Joker. Oh, it's on my list too. Let's talk about the Joker. So Joker is this big prestige, strange film about mental health and about uh, things not being able to be funny anymore. You wouldn't get it. Um, but it really is about the consequences of neglecting vulnerable individuals, which is what happened in that Trump era from 2016 to uh, 2020, right? Is that there was a huge population of the United States that was neglected and they rose up. And at the end of the Joker, you see that Joaquin Phoenix's Joker rises up and they latch on to him, even though. That person, you may not want to latch on to that person because they're not a good person. That's what happened in America. And it's an interesting, a very interesting idea for a film, especially on the heels of a superhero film. Like I said, not one of my favorite movies of all time. I didn't even rate it that high. But if we're looking at the era, Joker fits very nicely into it. It's that anger, that disenchantment, that feeling that you've been left behind that I think a lot of people in the world feel a feeling that they were promised something that never got, you know, that never came through. And yeah, so I, I agree. It's not my favorite movie, but it absolutely represents this moment in history, like really quite in a in a beautiful way. I will say that I do think that when you start with Nolan's uh, Joker and then you also exist in Trump's America, this feels very like a, a, an in, almost inevitable next step. But I will say that it, he did stick the landing in the sense that it, it resonated 
with a whole group of people. And I think it really represents something kind of extremely accurately. Rated R movie made over a billion dollars. That wasn't necessarily happening a lot in the box office around this time. So it was huge. It was a huge hit. And we have the sequel coming out, I believe this year with Lady Gaga. That's true. We'll see what the follow-up is like. Um, well, that's also my my next pick. So it's you again. All right. I'll. Uh, why don't I take Spotlight for five hundred then? And this actually is one of my favorite movies of all time. I watch it at least once a year. It is. Uh, I think maybe one of the most important films ever created, and its pacing is beautiful. But let's not just hone in on the technical ability of Spotlight. This is a film about journalism and in a time for fake news, identifying system issues with institutions was the journalist's job. They are the only ones in our democracy that can do that. And it, uh, it did it in such a way that it blew my world apart. I think Spotlight is a perfect film perfect score, perfect direction. And I don't even really like the director. The director hasn't done much else that I've enjoyed, (laughs) but I love, love spotlight, Uh, you know, touching on social justice and accountability, but it's all helmed at this very responsible entity, the newspaper in 2000, 2001. To me, 2015 to 2019 really represents the downfall of journalism. Is that why spotlight is the film? It's because it it stands in opposition. It shows a beacon of where we could it's, get back to or where we could grow to become. Exactly. I, I look at Spotlight like the beacon of hope. And it came out in 2015 for a reason. People were rejecting journalism. They were saying, oh, no, you know, fake news, fake news. This is why it's so important, folks. And we've seen some films since, like The Post. And she said, but I don't think they hold a candle to the journalism in Spotlight and how how moving and how rich that was so important to the world that that story was told. And it's not even a story that takes place in the time period, but it's just so important to remind audiences, especially from 2015 to 2019, how important we cannot let these journalists fail in their job of holding institutions like government and the church and other places accountable. And that is why I put spotlight into my five movies here that, that represent an importance of theme at this time. Well, I love it. So I'm going to move on to my next choice, something that will not be surprising to you, but something that feels appropriate because it also seeks to checks and balances and it seeks to sort of put on blast some of the things of institution that we hold for granted and that is get out uh the movie changed obviously so much reflects such uh the time and the history and the the sort of comfortable hypocrisy of of white liberalism um that look the other way to like you know institutional racism and how they play into it and the active role they take. And I think it was amazing to sort of see that um, to, and to see it succeed. 
and also to see um, just, I don't know, I, I love this movie. I love what it says. I think it represents that that time so perfectly. I think it will be a movie that will be forever studied because of how much it represents that that time. You're absolutely right. Get Out, the systemic racism of Get Out, the the liberal bias, all of it is such a compelling watch. And we've said it, I don't know how many times on this podcast, but it's so much fun. And Jordan Peele is? He's the modern Shakespeare. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I love it. Uh, side note, not a Jordan Peele directorial film. Uh, in fact, a different director. Are you very excited for Monkey Man? I cannot wait for Monkey Man. It looks amazing. I, I really, really love uh, this probably horribly like indicative of, of the society I grew up in. But like, I really love this sort of Americanized, Hollywoodized, uh, Bollywood kind of mashup movie that has been coming out in recent years. I think it's amazing. All right, Jay, tangent over. Uh, what is next on your list? You know what? I want to go and I want to bring up The Shape of Water, which deconstructs the American dream to showcase its bias towards white people. Uh, you know, it explores all these themes of otherness of lack of acceptance. Where is the empathy in the American dream? I'm sorry, sir. It is not there. It is not available to you. And that's what I find in the shape of water is we follow this government agency that basically feels entitled to the American dream while all these other people like just crucified on the regular basis. The big example in the film is this monster who is doing nobody any harm. He's just a creature of the world. And that government agency is like, uh, uh, no way you're mine now. And basically bring him into captivity where our protagonist falls in love with him. And it's not just about the movie where you have sex with a fish. This is not just that movie, okay? I know that's what you're thinking, but it's not. I also have to give credit to Gelmore Del Toro, who has been just flooding the market at this time period of 2015 to 2019 with amazing movies and amazing stuff that is like just people are latching on to. Any one best picture for The Shape of Water is a good one to have in this conversation especially all of the conversation around LGBTQ rights that are in the film and happening all around. I love all these segues that you're throwing out there because that just goes perfectly into my next selection. Also an LGBTQ plus film, Moonlight, which honestly I think is just a perfect representation of 2015 to 2019. One, it, of course, is an LGBTQ plus story. It's also now the LGBTQ plus story uh, in the black sort of misogynistic community um, that it's set in and the difficulty of this and the loneliness and the quietness. And ugh, it was just gorgeous anyway. But also this movie is structured differently than a lot of traditional stories. You have chapters of life. You have these quiet moments of introspection. This movie is just so incredibly different in terms of the pacing and the way that the story evolves that I think it, it has to represent its time because 
in the 2015 to 2019 period, we really, you know, changed the way that we consume entertainment. Entertainment changed. The structure of story has changed. YouTube, social media, everything has kind of evolved. And and I think that a kind of new and interesting narrative structure as shown in Moonlight is a perfect representation of that time. Plus, of course, LGBTQ plus themes. Plus, of course, you know, amazing like black stories being put out to the forefront to a world that's hungry to listen. And I think that's beautiful. I love that that is on your list. I think that Moonlight also has historically one of the best endings of an Academy Awards, probably during that time period as well, when they reached for the envelope (laughs) and said La La Land. But no, no, it was Moonlight, in fact, that won Best Picture. I'm so glad Moonlight won. I was like rooting for it. I thought it had no hope. Me too. I mean, the small independent film. All right. What's next for you? So we've covered some certain themes. I, I, I can't not cover this theme. In 2018, the Me Too movement happened and I... I'm going to go with The Assistant, I which love is a, that movie. So The Assistant is from 2019. It stars Julia Garner, and she is working at a film executive studio kind of thing as the, uh, you know, the EA to the big guy. And the big guy who you never see in the film is a stand in for Harvey Weinstein. And basically, The Assistant kind of knows what is going on and feels more and more and more dread as she has to do this job. If she's going to keep quiet, can she keep quiet? She's not being hit on. She's not being harassed, but she's in the presence of it. And it's an interesting idea to have somebody so close to it and not know what to do about it. I loved the assistant when it first came out. I saw it in 2019. I haven't revisited it. It is a hard watch. I found it to be pretty harrowing and, you know, intense. Yeah, the tension building is just consistent and like unrelenting, which obviously is the purpose of the film because that's what they want to show. Absolutely. So this is, uh, you know, this was something huge, huge that happened during this five year period. You know, it made me look inward. It made me call up old friends and people I know and say, Hey, was I ever inappropriate? And how, how do I react in a world where I'm starting to understand just how dangerous the world is for the women in my life, which I had no idea because I'm a dumb person, not dumb. I just, I was ignorant. I was completely ignorant. It opened my eyes in such a way that I, I couldn't not put a Me Too movement film on this five. And I, there's another one and I don't know if you're going to say it, so I'm not going to say it. I don't think I'm going to say it because my next film is um, Ingrid Goes West. Uh, Because we really cannot go forward talking about this moment in history without, you know, talking about social media, without talking about the way that we stalk each other without talking about the way that we feel not good enough and that we need to be fake and that we need to be perfect and a whole host of toxic behaviors that is represented uh, by the rise of social media so and vapidness and 
you know, who are we as a people and what are we saying that we care about with this, this strange world that we're obsessed with in the pocket of our hands. So yeah, Ingrid goes West. I love that that's there because you turned me on to this film. I, I didn't even know it existed. And you were like, Jay, you got to watch this. I should have thought of something with social media, but my last one does not tie into social media. We are going to talk about black Klansmen, which is Spike Lee's, uh, film from this period about the true story of a black man infiltrating the Ku Klux Klan. And this film really reminds us just how much further we actually have to go. This was a film that took place in the 70s and ends with what happened in Charlottesville. And it's it's like my face just tears after I saw Black Klansman. I thought it deserved so much more love at the Oscars. Spike Lee is doing all of the work. Like in this world where we are seeing the clan basically rising back up. It's amazing to have a film like this remind us, hey, wait a minute. Do not congratulate yourselves yet that we've gotten to a point of this because this is where we still are. And you can see it every day on our feeds. You can see it. Everywhere you look, there is hate all over. It still makes me unbelievably sad that it's so necessary and so relevant. It's not the setting of the film that indicates whether or not it represents a a moment in time and history. Exactly. It's just about the message and how relevant it continues to be because all of these messages continue to be so relevant Every day. And it's crazy. You can watch a movie from 1933 and be like, they're talking about what we're talking about now. This is nuts. I think it kind of speaks to the human existence and why it's, it's, you know, the arts is so important because you realize, oh, like these are issues that humanity has been dealing with forever. And, uh, you know, the darker and lighter sides of us. So now we have to make the difficult decision. What movie is going to go forward onto the bracket in the future. And what movie we are actually like saying is our most relevant to this time period. Do you have yours? As of always, I, I, I avoid thinking about this decision until the yeah. very last minute. I try to use our discussion to inform my answer and I am hugely conflicted. I have no idea what to do. Nothing is new here. Jay, please enlighten me with your answer. Oh, you want me yes. to take the wheel? Okay, I will take the wheel. I'm going to go with The Shape of Water. Um, I think that in a in a world that is so concerned with transition and lack of acceptance, uh, The Shape of Water is my pick. I think it deconstructs, like I said, the American dream completely, which is... Not where I thought I was going to pick, but I'm going to pick it. It's so interesting. Thank you for choosing that. Somehow you choosing Shape of Water made my choice feel very like I'm calm about it now. (laughs) Before I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm going to choose Get Out. Yeah, I figured you were going to choose Get Out the whole time. Well, I needed you to choose Shape of Water first. I I don't know. I Get Out (laughs) the same way that Black Klansman shows there's so much more to 
do and so much farther to go. I think Get Out has that same thing. I think Get Out is screaming. I mean, the title is screaming even in in that primal way that maybe everyone in this moment of time is screaming. Yeah, that's a great, great way to describe it. And so that with Shape of Water and the need to, you know, like be empathetic and consider others, you know, these feel like two good representations of this time even especially together. So yeah, that's the choice. Did you watch John Stewart's first episode back yesterday? I did actually. I, I got a text message from Chris this morning saying, Hey, it was awesome. You got to watch. So I watched it and it was quite funny. Like it was, it was really good. There was a lot of jokes that played into him coming back and all of the, all of the news team being like, thanks. For coming back and like <laughs> upset that he's back instead of, I don't know, giving someone else a shot. But as it turns out, he's only there one day a week. He's only going to do Mondays. The news team is going to do the rest of the show for four days. Oh, a week. I think that's kind of brilliant. I love that. Yeah. I mean, you've got the status of like, hey, he's back. Let's watch that show. Isn't the news team always responsible for like the majority of the show? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty certain that they like run everything. Okay. What I don't understand is, could they really not find someone to do this show? No, it's not about could they not find someone. It's about, I think, finding the right person. Jon Stewart represents a certain draw, right? Like, we talk about this all the time, event directors. He's an event daily show host. And I think Trevor Noah really became an event daily show host. And I think all last year, they had guest hosts run for short amounts of time sort of to see who would be the best event host. I think the problem is, though, when you always have an event going on, it it stops being an event. But they'll never be John Oliver, which comes back, I think, this Sunday. So, I mean, that's the show to beat. He's got all the Emmys. Nobody can touch the man. And he started at The Daily Show. So, I think that's the, the the funniest thing about The Daily Show is that it it birthed us last week tonight with John Oliver. It honestly it birthed us a lot of different shows. And I do love Last Week Tonight, John Oliver, one of my favorites. All right, let's get back to movies. It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. Hey, Jay, you hear about that weird thing happening with the weather lately? Oh, yeah, like every day feels the same, right? Exactly. It's like deja vu or something. Kind of like that movie where Bill Murray kept living the same day over and over and over again. Groundhog Day. Yeah, I love that one. You think we're in some kind of time loop or something. Nah, that's just in the movies. But I imagine if we were stuck in today forever doing the same things over and over and over. Exactly. It's like deja vu or something. Kind of like that movie where Bill Murray kept living the same day over and over again. That would be awful. I would be so bored eating the same breakfast every morning. Totally. Maybe we should try something new today just in case. That would be awful. I'd be so bored eating the same breakfast every morning. Let's shake things up again. Have you noticed the weather? Dude, you said that already. Okay, let's just rewatch Groundhog Day. Pretty silly. Pretty silly. I know. I know. My intros are getting pretty ridiculous. I apologize for all <laughs> listening. Uh, but it was fun for a minute. Anyway, <laughs> Groundhog Day. Let's talk about Groundhog Day. Well, what did you think of what's your rating for Groundhog Day? 
Okay, so Groundhog Day, 1993, Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, four freaking stars. Me too, actually. It's a four-star movie for me. I was really surprised by how mature this movie is. It was interesting, right? Because I think on the last viewing, I was kind of like, this guy's a dick. He's an ass. And then I watched it now, and I don't think I'd seen it in a while. And I was like, man, I really feel for Phil. Like, I don't want to leave the news station. I would like to just do my job at the place where I do my job. I don't want to go to this stupid festival. <laughs> That's funny. I, uh, I, I really felt like, wow, this movie is, mm, you know, a, a physical embodiment of a philosophy. Like, I loved that aspect of it. This is going to blow everybody's mind, including my wife's, but. I've been reading Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, and I <laughs> 110% was like, oh my God, this is all about being present, just like that Roman Empire emperor said one time, <laughs> like about for you can't lose either the past or the future. How could you lose what you don't have? It's true. Yes, <laughs> I, it is about being present. I think uh, it's about about being present and about taking control of your mindset because, you know, I think, well, especially in the beginning of the film, he represents one mindset and uh, Andy McDowell represents the other mindset. That, that moment of where I am is good enough. Let's move here. I'm here. This is the present. That's what I want. And uh, yeah, I was pretty blown away by the amount of philosophy in this film. There was a lot of other small things in the film that like made me remember parts of my life in different ways. Like there's a moment in the beginning when Bill Murray says, keep the talent happy. And as a man who worked in radio for many, many years, keeping the talent happy was so ridiculous to me because we should be at the same level. Like we shouldn't be, you shouldn't be here and I am here. You should be, here's what you need to do. You do the thing. It's harmonious and that's it. But there was this keep the talent happy always in radio. And I don't think, I don't know if it's gone away. I know it was addressed in a big, big way. I, I think that that's somewhat true in all entertainment to some degree. Uh, that concept, that idea, certainly some people believe it for sure. And I just had a moment of like, grrrg when he said that, because I just, all these memories floated back of all these times where we had to do a lot of things to keep the talent happy. For example, for example, we had a new morning show guy coming in and he was a difficult morning guy to work with. And I was working on the rebrand of a station, like a massive, massive rebrand. And I was in on the Sunday because the rebrand was the very next day. So I wanted it all to go off without a hitch. And I got an email asking if I could find a photo mat, print a photo of this guy's dog, have it framed and on his desk before I left that Sunday. And I'm just, I'm, I'm working on the brand of the station and making sure that everything is cohesive tomorrow like that's that should be the priority not i should frame a photo of a dog and put it on the of course i did it because i'm a great worker 
you should hire me. I'm a great person to work for you because I'll just do stupid stuff. <laughs> like I will go and I'll find a photo mat and frame a photo of your dog on a Sunday. But yeah, it was insane. Like stupid shit like that would happen all the time. And we all in our promotion team, in our sales team, we always were like, what the hell is happening? You know, it's funny. I think that kind of stuff gets, yeah, like misinterpreted and misunderstood and in reality in life and in the execution of the world. But you're right. It's about being harmonious. It's about making sure that the work gets done the best possible way it can. That's right. And I am available for work. J.Kennedy at Outlook.com. You can email me. Anyway, moving on. Uh, what did you think of, uh, Rita's optimism? What did you think of Rita at all? I loved Rita. Well, I think this is, this is a movie about mindset, I think. Um, and middle age mindset and middle age. I think that was so interesting. He is 42 in this film filming this movie. He is a 42 year old. Ivana looking in my eyes. I'm a 42 year old. I, I am very lucky I don't have Murray jeans. <laughs> I think I think it was like the fashion then too, you know, like people just like acted and looked and went about being as old as possible because that was like the the time. It starts and he's very much in the middle of already what feels like a groundhog day. Or you get that sense, right? That his life feels a little monotonous. He knows everything. He knows everything that's coming to him. He's prepared for everyone around him. He knows how to manipulate people. He's got a handle on the planet. And it's entirely empty and unfulfilling. And somehow he's, you know, pushes everyone away and is too good for everyone because he's figured everything out. And, you know, he he really represents a mindset that you can get into it really at any age in life but i think that middle age represents it most of all of all of the ages because you're in the middle of life often you in middle age people reach the peak of their uh, career or they're really on a hot climb in their career they feel like they have the world a little bit figured out they still have you know enough to go forward before they get old that it's not well, it kind of probably feels endless at that moment in life. And so, yeah, I think um, it's middle age and, and he's kind of that negative mindset. And I think that she just represents an entirely different way of looking at the world. You're right. She appreciates the present moment, whatever present moment that is. This is my assignment today. I'm going to do it the best that I can. And I'm going to find fulfillment in that challenge and not think about it too, too much beyond that. And so I think that she is not just optimism. She is a choice. She is a mindset. She is, you know, a practice of looking at the world in a more positive way where he is a practice of looking at the world in a more negative way. And like if you feel like you've kind of mastered your job and there's no more challenge, well, it's almost like what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Um, what, what else are you doing? Are you doing anything else? And and so, yeah, I I really think that's there. And I think she, he is the deliberate choice to look at things in that negative way. And she's the deliberate choice to look at things in that positive way. And then we watch him 
learn how to make that choice himself because it's not easy. And actually, that's one thing that I love about the movie and the premise and the concept that he's living the same day over and over and over again. And we know that a long time has passed, whatever long means to the individual watching it, because he does things like learns to become an, a very like a, like proficient piano player, which, you know, that's not a simple no. physical task to, to, you know, come to. And so you know that that takes time. So whatever amount of time that takes that's the minimum amount of time he's been there. So that's how much time it takes to switch your mindset or that's how hard it is to change your mindset over. But the movie, I think, is so optimistic because ultimately it's a movie about making a choice and then working hard and then like seeing what comes of that. And he fights that choice at the beginning. He fights oh, against yeah. making that choice. He kills himself a number of times. And he continues to fight against ideally like what he should be doing, which is just living in that moment and learning the things and using his time in a better way than he could if he was deciding against it. You know, he tries to save people's lives. He tries to make everybody around him have a better life, even though he's not super happy all the time he can choose to be better for the people around him. Yeah. And he can choose to engage with the community around him rather than push them away because he's got them figured out or is better than them or, or, you know, any number of things. So what are the issues with their relationship in your mind between Bill Murray and Rita? Do you find there's some strange consent issues there, or is it okay because it's all the same day for Rita and she makes the choice over and over not to be with him, but she does like him. Otherwise she wouldn't at the end of the movie, right? Well, he proves himself to her at the end of the movie in that moment. And she falls in love with him too. I think also the movie does a pretty clear job of, progressing their relationship thematically regardless of the time the time loop is the same i also think that if you like scrutinize every concept to that degree i don't know you know i think i think the movie does a lot of magic empowering of of rita you know like she's consistently saying no to him until he gets it right until he truly changes now, this is the first time uh, I, I tried to go back and find more time loop films, and there's not a heck of a lot. There's a there's an independent short that was made before this that may have given Harold or MS a little bit of insight. But for the most part, this is the very first time a time loop film has existed. We've seen a number of them since. Do you think that this is still well? And the Harold Ramis isn't like the creator of this. This is Danny Rubin's original story. Yeah. Uh, and he, there is, I think you can find the script online. It's um, a lot more dark. It's a lot more indie. Um, and he had the choice to either go with a more independent production company with a much smaller budget uh, and kind of do that darker indie version of this film or 
Danny Rubin uh, could have, you know, sold. I forget what production company owns this. So I'm not even going to pretend. Um, but, you know, partner with Harold Ramis. And that's that's the choice that he made. And I am glad that, uh, you know, Bill and Harold put away their differences after many, many years before Harold died. And they were able to come to, uh, you know, a resolution to whatever the argument or fight was. I Well, I looked into it. And a lot of it had to do with actually, apparently, I mean, who knows if any of this is real. This is an internet search after all, people. Right, right, <laughs> So right. we're gossiping. But uh, it was primarily, it was off, it was the Groundhog Day. Harold Ramis really wanted to keep it pretty simple and not too deep. And Bill Murray really thought this was a philosophical movie that, you know, could think about humanity and time. And, and obviously... Whatever conflict they had, the final product has the perfect mix of both. They did come back together in the end. And that's that's really, really nice. You know what is the weirdest thing about this movie? I, I, I've got to get this off my chest. I'm going to throw it into the podcast. Who gets into a shower and just goes for it and turns on the water? Yeah, because it's always cold initially. Always. Yeah. You let that run and heat up, man. Or you like... You get one of those nozzles where you can put it down by your feet until it's the right temperature or something. You don't just walk in and go, I guess it's time to turn it on. You maniac. Who are you? Thanks for listening to our show. Next week, we are going to be watching and talking about our next movie on the watch list. And that is The Way We Were from 1973. That's right. It's going to be nice. I can watch it tomorrow. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. You know, I want to watch a classic love story from the watch list. So if you enjoyed what you heard today, please add a rating or review to your podcast app if it's available. The music you heard today comes from Kevin McLeod at Incomputech.com. And if you read our show notes, you'll learn more about our friends who voiced our intros and where we secured our sound effects. And if you want to interact directly, you can find me at Ivana Kingston at on Instagram. And I think it's Ivana on Letterboxd. <laughs> and you can follow me on Letterboxd at Jester J or on TikTok at J Loves Movies, L-U-V-S. We'll be back again soon with an all new episode. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't yet. So until next time, friends. Do more and watch more.